Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. Today's guests are two partners of the Berger Schatz Law Firm, which is dedicated exclusively to family law. Both Brian Blitz and Marcy Cott are both matrimonial attorneys who are not just about solving their clients' family problems, but about bridging the gap between attorneys and mental health to start talking about the issues that people want to brush aside. So much so that they started a mental health roundtable group with leading mental health professionals. So I'm excited to dive more into their story and how they help people. So welcome, Brian and Marcy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. First thing I want to dive into just right off the bat is you don't see professionals, attorneys, lawyers getting into the nitty gritty of bringing on this extra responsibility of trying to help people with much deeper issues, including mental health. So why did you decide to do this when, you know, most attorneys just do their jobs and maybe they don't go that extra mile to help their clients on a deeper level to actually see them succeed? Do you guys have personal stories or was it just a combination of seeing so many people walk in your office and being like, we need to do something about this. So how did that all start? I think that um, there's a tremendous interplay between mental health and people going through a divorce. It's a very stressful time, as you probably can imagine. People, a lot of grief, a lot of difficulty navigating um, the loss of their spouse and then how this affects their family, their children. And there and there are a lot of um, reasons why people are, are going through a divorce. Some people don't have an annoying mental health issue, but they have you know addiction or they have something else that's inter- coming into play. But we just, we're seeing it time and time again in our cases. We, we make a lot of personal connections with our own clients. I think people will hire us, or at least me, I know. Um, we, we are somewhat collaborative with one another. We're a partnership. And giving somebody resources to make them the strongest they can be going through a tough time is important. And and, and it makes it easier for them to, to make appropriate decisions on their own behalf. We can advise them on the law, but getting a professional involved for their mental health is really critical in the process. We've just seen how beneficial it is. I think a couple of things just to add on to what she said, if that's okay. So really at the end of the day, Kayla, we're in the caregiving business. That's who we are. That's what we do. We take care of our clients. We take care of our people. I think what makes us good at our job is that we truly do care about our people. Um, it, you know, to Mars's point, there is such a massive intersection between what we do and mental health. You're dealing with people that want to get to the finish line, but they're also highly emotional. And I think what we saw, the two of us specifically, was, um, okay, you know, we're talking to clients all the time. What does your therapist say? Um, we saw this major uptick, I think, in mental health issues just being accelerated, if not exacerbated by the pandemic. And we thought to ourselves, you know, we, we kind of play therapists on TV most of the time. I think we have high emotional intelligence. I think we have to have high emotional intelligence to do our job. EQ is so important. And we decided we can do our job better if the left hand, therapists, mental health professionals, and the right hand, lawyers, became a little bit more in sync. So I, I think that really, at the end of the day, was like, we need to hear more from these people as we see more of this to do better caregiving for our people. Love that. So. Can you both remember and start with you, Brian, of when did this idea start? And what was, was there like a tipping point? Who had the idea? And then who was like, let's put this into motion. 
Yeah. Um, I think it was Mar I think it was Marcy's idea. I think Marsh brought it to me. You know, like like I mentioned to you off air, we've been together now with this firm for over twenty years. Um and I think we um who collaborate as Marcy mentioned on a day to day basis. The things that we were talking about seemed so accelerated in the world of mental health. And I was even suggesting that I had done a couple of therapy appointments with some clients because, you know, we all kind of enjoyed this real intensive privilege of mental health professional, lawyer privilege. And similar with Marcy. And Marcy said, you know, we, sh we should really get in sync with these mental health professionals so that the legal advice isn't necessarily different than the mental health advice that they're getting. And that's when I think we started building this roundtable on who would be a good person to contribute who will get value out of it, but she gets the credit for the idea for sure. Well, I mean, I would also thank you for that, but but I would also say that Brian and I, because we have been doing this for so many years together and we kind of started from around the same time, we talk about our cases, we talk about our clients. And a lot of times I'll say, Brian, um, my client really needs a strong therapist who has you know experience in trauma or has experience in addiction and do you have a referral because i think what we noticed at least after the pandemic it was impossible to get an appointment with a mental health care professional and that was another impetus for why i felt it was appropriate for us to branch out have relationships with therapists because at least having a personal relationship with a therapist i can say i can reach out to that person and say I have this client. Is there any way you can fit this person into your practice? I think you would be a great fit. And I think it's just been an interesting way of collaborating again together. So Marcy, I'll let you explain. How does the round table work? Does it meet monthly, weekly? Where does it go? Could anyone watch it? What is the round table? So we started this, we only have had one session and now we're expanding on it. And I think the, the initial session was more about a meet and greet and we kind of went around the room and we had psychiatrists and then, and other um, psychologists, we had marital therapists. So we had just like a good mix with a good background. And we kind of just talked through what, what was our practice? What, what, who are the type of people we represent? What are the issues that we're seeing? So it was a more of a get to know each other and what you know we do all professionally and where we kind of intersect and then we kind of heard from the group like what what are your biggest challenges with your people going through divorce and it, there just seemed to be so much overlap and now we're going to have a little bit more of a regular programming going on so our next one is november 16th 15th something mm -hmm. like that it'll be all november and we're going to have a guest speaker on that day and we're, we're just trying to just have some sort of synergy between our professions but also give people some tools to when they leave you know something when they leave they can say yeah i heard this there and i think this would be great or or that would be great so we're all just kind of learning from one another when you work with people and i know you've mentioned you maybe go to therapy sessions with them where you refer therapy. Have you ever had people come in there wanting a divorce and you suggest therapy? Have have they ever gone back on their word and actually worked on themselves and maybe changed their mind? Insofar as like rejecting therapy at the beginning and then maybe realizing that it's not the worst idea they've ever heard. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I would say there's always at least a couple of clients that seem to be hesitant. And I think that sometimes people will, it, it depends on the issue. Obviously, I hate answering questions, but it depends. But it does. Sometimes you've got somebody who's struggling with addiction and they're just in complete denial. Um, sometimes you have a really, really well-adjusted person who thinks that they can get through this and that they're strong and they've never needed therapy before. And they don't realize that they're just in a really traumatic moment in their life. 
-hmm. and they need to take care of themselves, which includes their mental health because they're in a crisis. I, I'd say that those are the people that generally say, okay, now I am emotionally exhausted. I agree. I need to talk to someone to help me get through this. Mm -hmm. But sure, I think a lot of people are resistant or think they can just get through it on their own, even though I think it's um, death, job loss, and divorce are essentially the three most stressful things you can go through as a human being. And I think and it's interesting that sometimes in our, we're representing a client that is, is having an issue that somehow it could be a parenting issue or it, it, where they're they're not getting the right amount of parenting time because the other spouse is saying, oh, he or she has anger management issues and it's, it's interfering with the well-being of the minor children. And so as problem solvers, and for us to try to gain parenting time for our client and help them become a better parent, well, We'll recommend, we'll agree to send our client to anger management therapy and the client, we have to kind of work with our clients and say, look, this is what we're suggesting doing. They're a little bit resistant, but once they go, I just had this happen to me with, with my client who I recently got divorced and he was very adamant. I said, okay, we're just going to agree to four sessions. Mm. He's getting it out and he's getting, it's very worthwhile. It's making him a better parent. It's actually opening his eyes to things. And, um, and they're no, they're, he's no longer under a requirement to do this. This is all voluntary. It started out as not so voluntary, but now it is. So it's, it's rewarding. Yeah. You know, Mars said something too, that made me think someone saying, well, my, you know, my spouse has anger management issues. My husband has anger management issues and everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, I, I hate generalizations, but a lot of people will come in as an expert and we hear so many people diagnosing their spouse. Oh, a, a, a total narcissist, a borderline, uh, these things. Again, we may play mental health professionals on TV for part of the day anyways, as part of our job, and we know a bit to be dangerous, but not necessarily everything. And I think it's so important. I don't like to diagnose anybody. I don't think my clients should even diagnose anybody or even have their own therapist diagnose somebody. I, I think it's important to um, talk to a real mental health professional, figure out what you're dealing with, who you are, what you're grappling with personally, what your marriage is grappling with. I just think it provides clarity as opposed to somebody just saying, well, I'm dealing with this. As matrimonial attorneys, you guys don't just handle divorce. People come to you. We do custody related matters, things that are, okay. are can be after people get divorced. Sometimes there's ongoing issues with parents and children. And when there, there's remarriages and it, it fortunately it's the gift that keeps. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it would be <laughs> for, for the, for the, lion's share of what we do is matrimonial divorce related cases. Um, we negotiate a bunch of prenuptial agreements is probably a smaller part of what we do. But other than that, it's sizable, complicated divorce cases that we handle. Gotcha. And back to what Marcy said, that is the hardest step to take. It's just that initial appointment to get into therapy. Honestly, that is the hardest move anyone can make. I know it was for me. And I know you guys don't know much about me, but I've actually been divorced. I was married at 24, divorced by 27. And I will say, oh, like I was not who I was today. I have done so much healing on myself, so much work on myself. And it just kind of sometimes I think about like, what would I have done back in the day if I did actually you know, if I was healed, I didn't have so much trauma. There wasn't so much going on. Not that I regret it. I don't think, you know, we were supposed to be together and it wasn't even a bad thing. We didn't need a lawyer. We just were like, I just basically was like, I just went out. You can keep your stuff. I'll keep my stuff. We signed a paper and it was basically a breakup, a very clean break. You know, I think people in any relationship, people just have human 
experiences and they take it out through their relationships. So it's not about the other person. It's not about he's doing this to me. She's doing this to me. It's really, we all have our own issues and it just comes out with the closest person to us. People don't take the time to fully work on themselves. And over time, that's just going to eventually hit a wall. And you're going to be like, I'm unhappy because this person is making me unhappy. When really, if you both were individually working on yourselves, your relationships would be stronger. You wouldn't get to that point. Not to say you you guys you guys need your jobs too, but, <laughs> well, but you know, could be avoided. Point, we're, not, we're not super worried about job security. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I do believe what, you know, what you said is true. Um, people taking responsibility for themselves and their own actions and whatever may have failed in their relationship. As lawyers, what you come to understand over a period of time is that gaining credibility is a very important part of advocacy. And when you suggest that your clients are always right and everything that they say is always right, you lose credibility. You lose credibility with other lawyers. You lose credibility with judges. Owning certain things that maybe you haven't done perfect is one of the best diffusers with respect to solving people's problems. And a lot of people can't reach that point where they can yes. understand that that's okay. It's actually healthy. It's actually helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agree. So true. Just responsibility. One of the things I have talked about recently is that my three A's that I like to say is like acceptance, acknowledgement, and awareness. So acknowledging that you play a role in your own suffering is what people just cannot do. They just think they're the victim and everything and everything and everyone around them is what is making them unhappy. (laughs) Then they'll just keep leaving people, keep leaving situations, leaving places, thinking that, oh, okay, well, this is making me unhappy. So the next place, the next person is going to be the one that that really helps. And Marcy, I don't do so well with those kinds of clients. Um, One of the silver linings in this business is that when somebody finds us, which I would say the second hardest, if not the hardest call to make, you can pick between a therapist or a divorce lawyer. You know, people always say, God, I'd be the last person I ever wanted to call. You know, maybe, and and then a therapist would be somewhere in that short list Mm. too. But when someone finds us, one of the silver linings in our job is then with the right person. You watch them kind of go on this uptick with their lives and they build back and they build back and they build back. A lot of people don't really want to hit that trajectory. It's more of the misery loves company attitude. They want to be victimized forever. We're probably not the right lawyers for those people Mm. because if you can't ultimately bring somebody legal solutions as well as optimism, those people don't do so well with us. We just, well, I think that we have a similar like temperament in terms of like, we are glass half full people. I mean, we are not doing grown people. I mean, just in general, the way we live our lives um, outside of our profession. So I think we bring that positivity into our relationships and into our client relationships. And the other thing is we, we tend to feel strongly about managing expectations with our clients. So, you know, you go into a, an attorney's office and they tell you, you're going to get 100% of this, you're going to win this, you're going to win that. Uh, and that just doesn't happen. And so mm-hmm. you just have to really be careful about over-promising and under-delivering. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's just a nuance that doesn't always, you know, so sometimes if a client comes to a prospective client meets me, I'm kind of honest about what I think I can achieve, what I can't achieve. And that's not always going to get me the client. It's not going to land me the case, but I would rather do that than have somebody um, me feeling as though I, I was dishonest or wasn't, you know, appropriately giving them the right expectations about what can happen. Without a doubt. I mean, we really are psychologists in a certain way for getting any kind of mental health treatment that someone may benefit from in that we have to rewire our clients to a certain extent too. 
Um, and I don't think a lot of lawyers do that. I think it's very easy to be predatory in our business yep. where you can exploit someone's anger, exploit someone's victimization or feelings because it's a counterintuitive business model. The more problems that lawyers create tends to be the more money that we make. So it, it doesn't really make sense. It's another podcast, another conversation. But um, I, I tell people all the time to, to rewire them and manage expectations as to what Marcy was speaking. There's certain words you have to delete from your vocabulary once you get into this room. Winning, losing, offense, defense, principle, those are all words that don't really mean anything. Control, they're illusory. If you get caught up in those kinds of words and whether you're winning, whether you're losing, whether you're on offense, whether you're on defense, it's the principle of the thing. This is going to be a really long, really terrible process. The moral high ground is expensive and it generally doesn't return the results that are going to let you move on with your life. I love that. That was great. That was a great explanation. I definitely think you guys are on to something. I personally, not that I deal with lawyers and attorneys all the time, but I've just never heard of anyone taking the step and you're willing to say, I will not take a case if I'm if I'm not going to be able to be honest. And like you said, using those terms of we're going to win, he's going to lose, she's going to lose, we're going to take him for everything. So you guys are really going the extra mile. I'm kind of curious as to how did you each become so well-versed and emotionally intelligent? Do you each have your own stories? Was it just from working in this job? A little background, if you can. I'll start with Marcy. So I, I think um, for me... It might just be my upbringing. I'm the youngest of three. I've kind of watched my older sisters in a way. My, I had a very strong father, really daughter relationship. And my mom was, I mean, I just had a very good, solid family background. And I don't know, it just centered me. I was very grounded. And when I started in this industry, I was already a mom. I had two children. I had my third baby while I was here. And I think just that I just was a little bit more mature doing this seeing things from a different perspective and much more, you know, as you get older, wiser, seeing all the, the pitfalls and just being grateful of, of what I am, you know, I mean, my background and, and fortunate and being able to just be calm and be very, and, yeah, I, I, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not going to, and I'm not doom and gloom. I'm very positive and I try to like bolster, make people feel, you know, excited about the next stage of your life. Like, don't look at this as the ending. Let's look at it in a new beginning. I mean, always trying to see people in their worst and saying, okay, today's your worst day of your life. You're coming to see mm -hmm. a divorce lawyer, but it's uphill from here, mm -hmm. you know, in a sense, because it's a new beginning. You know, you're going to be in control of your own life. And it, to me, I've always worked and, and having people who come to me who aren't necessarily working and they have to go back to work. I try to show that it's such a great outlet. It's a great way to like refocus and feel empowered, feel really, you know, you just, your, your focus changes a little bit more. You're not so fixated. I mean, this divorce can take on its, its own life and you really want to make sure that it doesn't for people. I also grew up in a very functional, uh, loving household. I, I, I'm not one of these people that got into this because I was a child of divorce. And I always wanted like, quite the opposite in my world. We just took my parents out for their 50th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been married for 19 years myself with two teenage boys. Um, I think my family and my, my, my parents always wanted me to be a professional. I grew up in a family business and there was always something different that I think they wanted. So that may be like how I got into the legal profession and I won't bore you with any more details on that. <laughs> I think with this job, what I've come to understand is the following about myself. If you've ever read the birth order book, I'm the oldest and I think being a natural born caregiver comes with being the oldest. So, and again, like I said at the beginning, we're really in the caregiving business. So that's part of it. 
I also think over time, what I think makes me good at this job and what keeps me motivated every day is something different now than maybe 20 plus years ago when I started it. Right now, for me, it's all about my client relationships and their stories. Um, and being able, you know, when someone chooses you to represent them from a very hard time in their life, it's a very personal relationship and they're trusting you with everything, mm -hmm. their finances, their business, their children, their mental health. Um, and I take that job, we take that job very, very seriously. And every once in a while, someone walks through the door that enriches you as a human being and as a person as much as hopefully you enrich them. Um, some of my best friendships have resulted in um, people that I've been able to represent that chose me. And I think now that's probably why I've stuck with this and why I'll always do this. I think I'm pretty well grounded now in my mid forties that, okay, here's what I love about this. And here's why I'm going to keep doing it. Notwithstanding the fact my family needs to eat too. <laughs> I'll speak for both of us when I think that we have both found things about this that we love. We don't love everything about every day. We find ourselves fighting over minutia and bullshit, or at least bantering over it a lot of the time. But we come back and check ourselves about what we really do love about it and why we chose this. And it is. It's true. It's very rewarding at the end of the day. And just having, like, it, what Brian said is true. The busy fall season is right around the corner, and you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to get you through those jam-packed days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and they can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat healthy, and stay on track with your goals. Whether you're looking for calorie-conscious options or needing an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best for the rest of the summer, you can choose from 34 plus weekly meals ready to eat in two minutes. With Factor, you can skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. Head to factormeals.com slash habits50 and use code habits50 to get 50% off your order. That's code habits50 at factormeals.com slash habits50 to get 50% off. We both have relationships with our clients that, that span many years and there's always these check-ins. I mean, just the other day, I, I received a text from a client wondering, you know, how I'm doing, dealing with, you know, the Middle East and things of that you know, nature. I'm concerned about me. Do I have family? Do I, is somebody affected by, the, you know, what's going on there? And it's mm. just so nice. I mean, that I'll hear from somebody out of the woodwork from that. You're definitely in the serving caregiving business. As a former personal trainer and online coach, I used to help women lose weight, get healthy. Kind of what I'm seeing in similarities is that people will come to you for one thing, but they actually really need something else, so something true. much bigger. So it's kind of like, you know, sell them on what they want, give them what they need sort of thing. And so just so picking true. up a lot of similarities on that. So sure. like you I said, say to my trainer yeah. all the time, I say to my trainer all the time that he's truly one of the most important people in my life to make me feel a certain level of confidence, healthy, energized. There's, I don't know that there's anybody in my life that does a more important job for me and with me than that. So you were, yeah. Doing, yeah, you were doing all those things. Yeah, for sure. So, so are you guys are coming to you for like, Oh, I just need this figured out. But what, 
you really give them as life lessons, tools or mental health tools and, and tips that they can take with them. And then that will ultimately, I think you guys are obviously in the perfect situation to be doing this, to be that conduit between therapists and mental health professionals. I think you guys should start a podcast. I think you should tell people stories that obviously anonymous, but I think it'd be such a cool segment to just tell people success stories of coming to you guys and going through the process and what they really gained in the end. Oh, just keep coming in yours. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll start. A little side side segment. <laughs> we deal with, with mental health care professionals a lot. And um, having those relationships with those people are it's invaluable. Because also sometimes we don't know best advice. So we say, look, I think you really need to meet with somebody, talk through this, um, get some other outside help. And I think it's great too when Marcy and I are in the position to quarterback that because we do have some people that we trust very, very much. Just like there's nothing worse than having somebody represented by a really bad lawyer. There's generally nothing worse than having someone being treated by a really, really bad mental health professional Mm -hmm. because they can have the same kind of destructive impact on somebody that a bad lawyer, if not worse, would have. It needs to be somebody that I think brings the same wants and the same objectives to the table to make someone stronger, more independent, clearer headed, healthier, as opposed to throwing gasoline on a fire that really needs to be That's yeah. very well said. And, and so the people that we've actually brought into this round table are people that we have relationships with. Or it, one of us does. And, and, and the point is to really keep it as somewhat of a, a smaller, tight-knit group and then have them you know, refer a couple of people and, so that we really continue to develop relationships mm-hmm. and be able to, to navigate our clients with these people. And I think it's just, it's just been a really good fit. Because same with psychiatrists, it's impossible to get into to get an appointment. Brian, if you can answer this, I'm curious to to know if you guys see over and over maybe some three common emotions that people are going through when they are going through this, like negative emotions. Is it shame, sure. guilt? What what do you think the people bring into into the office when they come in, and, and how so do you see that? Um, yeah. it, it's a wonderful question because now in my own mind, I'm thinking about people that I've seen recently and what they come in with. Um, I would say. I would say sadness is generally what I see with almost everybody. They may not wear it on their sleeve, but there's sadness. There's an element of fear, Um, fear of the unknown, fear of what the process is going to look like, fear of who I am and what what I ultimately may represent or be. I can't even tell you how many people have said to me, um, I can't believe I'm eating I never thought in a million years Mm. that I'd be sitting across the table from someone like you. So I would say fear, I would say sadness, and um, I, I guess anger is probably the other one that comes to mind right away. I find anger to be a little bit easier to diffuse, quite frankly. I really do. I think you can do some reality testing with people. I mean, some people, some of the sadness is, is a little harder. It's like grief. You've got to work your way through it. The fear, people generally leave here feeling much better, much, much better they may, uh, their own anxieties may take over again and they need another gut check. But those would be the three that I would say that I see most of the time. Very seldom do we see ambivalence. Sometimes we see relief. I can't tell you that I ever see happiness. Mm-hmm. Not at this stage. Not you, Marcy. Helping up. Would you say the same three? Yeah. I mean, I blame, but blame. it's more about blaming the other person. I mean, there are a lot of people who come in and it's, it's always somebody else's, it's the other spouse's issues that have driven this person to come, you know? So I see a lot of that and, and just from doing this forever and just in terms of relationships, 
just having friendships, having spouses, having a parent-child relationship, it's always, there's nobody, mm-hmm. nobody, there's not, rarely is it just one person that right. has a role in, in any oh, sort of for sure. conflict in a relationship. For sure. We all come, know that. It comes back to your three A's that I think most people don't subscribe yeah. to, quite frankly. I think blaming other people is the number one sign of someone that needs to actually look at themselves. <laughs> yeah, look in the mirror and turn it back all. around on yourself. Right. Yeah. So that old expression of everybody else is an asshole, pardon the expression. Um, <laughs> so would you? So you said people don't come in happy, which say by the time that they leave, there's a little bit more progress in their attitude and demeanor. I mean, Maybe, maybe not that day, but through the whole process. I mean, I don't know that happiness is, I mean, I guess it just really depends on each set of circumstances, but I think people leave a little bit more empowered. And I, I think even people who are CEOs of companies or who have very, very high pressure, successful careers, this is a whole different place to navigate. You know, so it's not those people who are usually in control. You're just not in control in a divorce. Mm-hmm. It's not, you can't control it. So I think that those people can have a lot of difficulty and, and just really kind of um, trying to navigate for them. Like, look, you don't get to control and here's what's going to happen, you know, and building that trust is, is huge because somebody who is very, very high power, they are used to getting exactly what they want. They know how to get what they want. And they're very bad at showing vulnerability where That's, everybody mm-hmm. in the street is very, very vulnerable. I mean, I've had, I've had seven foot NBA players sobbing on my shoulder before. Um, mm-hmm. Which again is one of the one of the good things you get to see somebody at their raw form and they're trusting you to get them through it, but um, it's that vulnerability that's very very hard for people I think to expose, even though we're all human beings at the mm. end of the day. Humility. Yes. I know. Why is it so hard for people to be vulnerable? Like, what is that? What is that wall that people cannot break down? I see it so. Well, I think so it goes much. back to one of your A's. I think it goes hundred yeah. percent back to one of your A's, which is awareness. We need to understand that it's it, it, it's. You know, you should be aware that yeah. it is more than okay, if not admirable, to show vulnerability. Right. I used to be the tough girl. I used to be like, I don't need to show emotion. Like I've gone through so much in my life, and I used to think if I cried, I was like weak. I was like, no, I can't cry about that. Like let's move on and sweep it under the rug, and it eventually catches up to you, where yeah, you have right. to deal with it. And that's where I hit my rock bottom, and then I was trajected back up. So I wouldn't try it for anything. I mean, but trajected back up, you got yourself back up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have acceptance just accepting people, you and the world around you, like just accepting people how they are and accepting what happened to you. I think that was it. Like accepting what has happened. Cause I think a lot of people just don't want to accept it. So they deny, deny, deny. And then the second piece would be the acknowledgement of like, okay, this is happening. What sort of role do I have to play in this, in the relationship, in the marriage with the kids? What is my role? Because we all play a role in our own suffering in some way. And then there's the acknowledgement piece. And I think you have to go through those two to even get to the awareness of like, okay, I'm going to every day, you have to be aware of something every second, every minute, every hour. How are you thinking? How are you feeling? Did you just explode on someone because you're triggered? Why? What's the trigger? And then that's, that's the work. Obviously that takes a lot longer. It took me a couple of years to understand my triggers. Why did I react that way? Okay. It's traced it all the way back. And I found the root cause of the trigger and so on and so forth. So that's just kind of how you build awareness. And then you can not let things get so out of hand, not let two years go by of your relationship or your marriage where you don't speak, you're sleeping in separate rooms or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. So well, then what happens is complacency. Complacency is not a good place to be. Yeah. And, and especially if you have, there are children in relationships, because mm-hmm. I think that 
you're you're bound together. So so really finding. I mean, I I think it's really valuable to have you know when I'm representing somebody with you know young children to get both spouses to go meet with um, a mental health care professional together and talk about either co-parenting issues or how do you tell your children that you're going to get a divorce? And I think that's a really great way to start the process because you want to be unified. That's the best mm. case scenario. Even if you hate one another, it's so important to try to be on the same page with, with children. And um, if you start off that way, I always feel like those are the people who are a little bit more mindful of their behavior, their own individual behavior, and how they can affect children. I, I think it's a, a great way to start a case. Like not yeah. everybody agrees to do it, but I try very hard. I agree to push that. That leads me into, let's talk about 2020. Let's talk about what happened during 2020. Anything significant from that, whether it be mental health issues, divorce, people not being able to handle their kids that are in school, online. Did you guys see an increase in family issues or anything like that? Yeah. yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, what, what I would say is the following. I think if people assume that there'd be this major uptick in the quantity of cases that we were handling, I'm not sure that I saw that so much. I think there's been maybe some of that um, subsequent to 2020, now that everybody's just kind of out there again. But there certainly was a major uptick in a lot of the problems that we're discussing on this podcast. Major uptick in addiction, major uptick in other mental health issues where people that were at the brink before had just kind of crossed that point and got really, really ill. I, we, we saw, I would say, an uptick in acrimony as well as an uptick in all those other issues, more so than an uptick in the number of people. Oh my God, your business, you're going to do you're going to have more new clients than you're going to have to. I didn't see so much of that. I just saw more problems. I mean, I would agree. We, I, I don't think that, I mean, for, unfortunately, divorce rates are pretty much what, what the statistics say. It's about one in two marriages and in divorce. And I don't think that that changed that much from, from 25. Maybe things were on hold a little bit. So people who started the process, it, it became... Look, where else are they supposed to go? They're all living in the same house. They're worried about COVID. They're all so. I think that that put a halt on the process a little bit for you know just a short period of time until everyone kind of lived with it. I do think it really exacerbated some underlying mental health issues that people had, or or you know somebody was maybe drinking a little bit too much prior to 2020. It just exacerbated. Mm. So the, the the after effects were impossible to get into therapists. People needed mental health care professionals. I think they were the most invaluable people oh, post-pandemic. For sure. Post for sure. they still are. They were, and, and I think to Mars's point too, um, the uptick in addiction, I, I probably have dealt with more substance abusing and alcoholic cases over the course of the last three plus years than I did in the first 18 years of my career combined. Wow. It's a very interesting uh, perspective on humanity, what we do, because we, 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 we get a little snippet of everything that's really going on out there. I mean, you guys are basically like mental health professionals. You see people Without really the at their lowest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm just awesome. another. Yeah. <laughs> We're still lawyers at the end of the day. <laughs> But yeah, you just see people at their lowest. This isn't a point in time where people are like at all time high and they're like, I'm going to go see Brian. It's like, no. oh my God, I got to go see Brian. But I will say, yes, we generally see people at their lowest. It's absolutely an accurate statement, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't sometimes see people that are at their lowest still at their best. Mm. And, you know, that's something that I think I try to look out for all the time. Those are the clients that really, really end up sticking with you forever. It's, they were so low. They were so sad. 
They were so distraught. They were so weak, but they were still the best version of themselves. They were still authentic. They were still clear headed. They were still kind. They were still generous. They were still kid centric. Those are the special ones that even with all of those bad things at their lowest, they're still showing how good of a person that they are. And those are the ones you're like, all right, they're going to be fine. Totally. I'm going to pick out your emotion of fear for a second. I want to ask Brian a question. What do you want people to know who may be thinking of divorce, going through this process with you guys right now, or even anyone and, and finding it a taxing process on their well-being, and maybe they are fearful of the unknown? What would you want to say to them? Get educated, meet some lawyers, if that's where you think you're going and figure out who your person is and figure out who speaks to you and who feels like they understand you, who you want to be your partner through all of this. So I I have generally found that education, which generally leads to solutions, tends to lead to clarity, which seems to dispel a lot of fear, Uh, kind of in that order. So get yourself educated. Don't put your head in the sand and you'll feel empowered. You'll feel educated. You'll feel clearer headed. Fear seems to dissipate under those uh, scenarios. And I would also say, surround yourself with a team of people that are not only important legal advisors and supporters, but mental health professionals that we're talking about here. Put yourself first and surround yourself with good people that generally bring you optimism and solutions and care. And I think a lot of things will start to feel better in a minute or less. I'd say that would be my short answer. That is great. I love that, the way you structured that and those steps. I think, again, Marcy said this earlier, um, people generally do leave here feeling better. And I think it's because we provide solutions Mm. and solutions brings calm. It's like, okay, there is an answer for this. And there is, there there is a team that can help me get the answers and get through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. If you leave here and it's somebody you connect with. And just saying it's okay to be fearful. It's normal. It's, it would be abnormal to not have fear when you first come and, and start this process. I mean, think about it. We're all human beings. We like structure. We like stability. We don't like change sometimes. Not A lot of people aren't good with change. And so just reassuring somebody that it's okay. Like, yes, things are going to change, but and it's okay to be fearful, but you're going to get through this. So I think just that reassurance is really, really important. Yeah, that's great. So Marcy would ask the same question, but with your emotion, you chose blame. What would you say to people who are coming in and just full on, it is not my fault. I'm the victim. What what would you say to those people? Try. I really do reality test everything. So we talk about, you know, they, they'll give me examples and I'll say, well, did you try this in this situation? I mean, do you recognize your role or perhaps um, when I'm thinking about a situation especially with parenting time. And, and I'll, I know I have, it, it doesn't even matter if it's the male, if it, forget about gender roles, but some people will say, he's never made the kids. He's never, he's never fed the kids. How is it, how, are, how is he going to have the kids 50% of the time or even midweek overnight? And he's never taken them to school. And I, and I have to constantly reality test and say, well, look, in every relationship you take on roles. So if your role was, you know, I said, my own, if I work, I like, took that issue with my own marriage, I would say, wow, my husband wouldn't be entitled to that either. But he's a professional, he's a physician, and he's a great father, and he has, he's absolutely capable of taking care of a baby and, and whatnot. But I did most of that, or at least my nanny did. But <laughs> either way you do it, you have a role, right? And in, in relationships, you have a role. And so I, I try to show them the other side of something and say, like, look, is your spouse capable 
Do you think he, he or she is a capable person? Do they provide love? Um, will they do the right thing? They're going to be fine. Your kids will be fine. You know, so I think you just have to constantly, that's like one just small example. It's not so much the blame, but it's always that, that he did nothing or she does nothing. And I do everything. And, and I kind of have to say, well, look, let, let's, let's back up and let's really look at what happened here, you know, or try to really shift the narrative a little bit to kind of give some clarity to the situation. It's not so easy though. Yeah. They, that usually doesn't happen after a first no, meeting. It doesn't. <laughs> they like to overgeneralize or catastrophize a situation. Yes. They never do. They always do. Yeah. You never want to use those words. Terms. Everyone's a yeah. So what is your plan? What is your hope for these roundtable discussions that you're going to have? I would say that now that I think we've gauged the audience, engaged the room, keep it intimate and keep it diverse with respect to the different kinds of people. But now that we've also heard what people really want to hear is I'd like to be able to bring in, and we, Marcel and start planning for our next one anyways, we've got a list of hot topics that, that everyone feels really hungry to absorb and they want to listen to. Uh, how technology impacts our ability to work uh, in function. We had a lot of talk during our first round table about, and again, this is where the law interplays with mental health. How is it okay for us to talk to um, guardians that are representing children in high conflict divorces? How do we handle that? What do we do? So we've kind of got this list of topics now um, that's growing that we want to be able to address and bring in a speaker and essentially somebody to run a, a really well thought out conversation. Mm. That's what we all leave yeah. feeling really, really light. And, and just leaving with some knowledge that you didn't have before. And, you know, just re remembering, remembering now that you just jogged my memory about that discussion that we had about do, do these mental health care professionals, do you take notes? Are you worried that your notes might get into a courthouse somehow, yeah. some way? Because yeah, that, was a big that information can be discoverable. And how does it not be? And yeah. so we talked a lot about, you know, some, some mental health care professionals say, no, we don't really take notes. We may jot down some a word here and there, but we, we typically don't, or there are so many interesting um, discussions that we had about this. What we found, and I think we saw it so um, overtly during our meeting, during our conversation, understandably so, mental health professionals are, 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 are rightfully fearful and distance themselves from the legal process and lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, it compromises their ability to treat their patients how they want to, they don't want to be deposed. They don't want to have their patients waive their HIPAA rights where they have to show their notes. They want to do their jobs uncompromised. Right. And I think the idea that they could come talk to two human beings that deal with this every single day, because we deal with the legal side of things the majority of the time, even though all these other amazing topics are just kind of organically part of what we do, there was something very enlightening, if not comforting, on their end. In so far as what they can do, what they can't do, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. What we find ourselves doing, just as a quick aside, in a lot of our cases now, um, at least Marcy and I do, is that when it's a really hotly contested parenting case, people's mental health is being challenged and children are in therapy and being treated, we'll immediately enter into a court order that says the therapists are off limits. Yeah. Mm. You cannot depose them. You cannot talk to them. You cannot subpoena them. They're going to do their job. They're going to treat this family. And if we're going to have to, you know, 
deal with things in court in an adversarial way. It's not going to include them. Let them do their job and help this family. And I think that was really, really, really reassuring to them. Right. As my thought. And, and I think judges, everyone kind of does get that, 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 mm. that mantra. I mean, the only time that you ever have, you know, a mental health care professional's notes or something that might come into play is if, if the, their own client is actually bringing that issue stops. They're opening the door to it. Otherwise, we're able to really wall it off from court. I never thought about that, honestly, until you just said it, how they could be compromised. Yes. And maybe they won't fully, again, do their job like they want to because they're worried that something else might come up. That's a really good point. And I think you guys have an endless amount of topics you guys could talk about, whether that be navigating, preventing all of this. I hope you guys start a podcast <laughs> and just get this information out there. But Sorry, I'm putting pressure on you. We're tired of listening to ourselves talk. <laughs> Updated yeah. life that we kind of um, see all the time. I'm excited. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm excited for you guys. I think you guys are doing such wonderful things. You guys are both amazing yeah. at not only your own lives, but helping other people. Do you guys take virtual clients or where can people find you if they want to work with you or where are you located? So we're, we're unfortunately like divorce is, is tied to a jurisdiction. So we're in Chicago, Illinois and we do surrounding suburbs as well. And sometimes we will be, I mean, I know you've tried a case out very far from yeah, the city of Chicago. We, we might get a local council. We'll run the strategy here in Chicago and we can do so much virtually, but we obviously can't represent somebody in Florida, mm-hmm. in a Florida yeah. case. Now, can we consult? Yes. And I have actually done that on a couple of cases where I've, um, where I've been able to like review people's documents and provide a strategy and talk to their lawyer a couple of times. I've done that, but most of the time we're really tied to Illinois law. We are tied to Illinois law um, without a doubt, even though we can certainly do some things around the country. So we're Chicago based. But what I would say to people that are, that, that are listening that, that may either like what they hear or feel like these are authentic people and I would want someone like that to help me get through this process. We have wonderful relationships around the country. Mm-hmm. And if anybody hears something here and, you know, I wish that those people were in uh, Oregon, I wish those people were in Texas, just send us an email and we'll make sure you get in the right hands of somebody that's closer to you that can help take care of you in the way that I think we would do it. Or just start a podcast. Okay. Just start a podcast. <laughs> I'm pressuring you guys. Well, thank you so much. That was a very, very intriguing, enlightening conversation. I I enjoyed it. Very much. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do and um, just making the world a better place. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.